This podcast is for educational purposes only, and at no point are we recommending any of the securities mentioned. This is solely being used to help educate on the historic short squeeze event from last week. Hey! You're listening to Stocks and Sandals, a podcast by Stock Dads for Stock Dads. Following two best buds and former college roommates on their journey to master the stock market and the art of being a dad. So pull up your cargo shorts, put on your grass-stained New Balances, and let's throw some stocks on the grill. Here are your hosts, DJ Brown and Mike Sabala. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Stocks and Sandals podcast. This is your host, Mike Sabala, joined by DJ Brown. And today we're doing a, uh, a flash recording here, doing a emergency recording for everybody, DJ. Yeah, a little bonus episode for you guys. Um, normally we do, you know, one recording a week and we release them on the Tuesdays as, as usual. But uh, we felt we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about everything that's going on right now with the, uh, the whole Wall Street bets uh, versus Wall Street drama. Um, it's a pretty unprecedented situation that's going on right now and uh it's kind of rattling the internet and the uh investing and trading world so we uh we thought who better to bring on and talk about this topic than uh the professor mike tedeschi um you know one of our stock dads educators and uh just wanted to kind of get your feedback mike on everything that's going on um wanted to talk a little bit kind of educationally about short squeezes kind of what those are um, and then we can kind of talk more about the specifics of the, the events that have unfolded recently. So um, real quick, Mike, uh, can you just kind of run through what the heck is a short squeeze, first of all? Sure. Well, before we get into short squeeze, let's talk about what actually shorting itself is so that we can understand how we get from regular shorting to what can happen with a short squeeze. So when you buy a stock, you own the particular stock. When you short the stock, you actually are borrowing stock from somebody else who is lending those shares to you, and then you are going to the market to sell. You can't just go to the market and sell nothing, right? You have to go out and find shares to borrow from somebody that already owns them, and then you take them and you sell them into the market. Now, your goal as a short seller is you sold something for $10, you hope the price drops so that you can buy it back for lower, let's say $8.00 you would make the difference between the two. So if it was $10 you sold it for and you bought it back for eight, you would get $2 worth of profit. Once you buy those shares back, they get returned to the person you borrowed them from. And so what happens in a short squeeze is as I've just described, the only way to get out of your short position is to buy shares. So if you want out and you're short, and I want out, and I'm short, we have to go to the market and buy shares. That causes buying pressure. What happens in a short squeeze is the buyers are able to bring something over a key technical level where shorts no longer want to be in the position, and the only way that they can get out of that position is subsequently to buy, which causes a tremendous amount of buying pressure. And since there's nobody willing to sell shares, price just keeps going up and up and up and up and up until there's a price where somebody's willing to sell those shares that they can buy. Got it. So, I mean, that makes sense. Um, I mean, with everything going on in the news, all right, I mean, this is, this is something that's pretty common 
commonly used like the shorting part by hedge fund managers and stuff like that, right? Can you kind of just talk about like kind of the strategy that goes behind it and how 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 does somebody determine like if a stock should be shorted or if you should be buying a stock? So if we talk about uh, an individual stock, let's go back to like blockbuster days, right? Everybody kind of looked at Blockbuster and went, wow, you know, the, the world is changing. So we've got Netflix. We don't need a Blockbuster store anymore. Well, Blockbuster was still a publicly traded company. And people could look at that and go, I don't think this company is going to survive. So they would subsequently want to short that stock because they thought it was going to go lower. Right. We can make money both directions in the market. We don't have to just play one way. Hedge funds and even individual traders can subsequently pick stocks that they do not believe are going to go higher because of fundamental reasons. Some sort of industry change, a shift, a competitor comes into the space and starts taking market share, whatever the case may be. All right. So you as an individual or as a hedge fund can go, I don't think this company is going to do very well. I'm going to short them. And maybe they think that at the same point in time, Netflix is going to do fantastic and they go ahead and they buy Netflix. So they actually are shorting Blockbuster, which they think is going out of business. And then they're going along the new technology that they think is going to do fantastic. And they're actually able to make money on both. And that's sort of what hedge funds are looking at. They're looking at a way to profit both from the upside and the downside if they have what they think is a really good thesis. So when you short something, so like with these like hedge fund managers and stuff that have so much capital and everything, when you short something, you borrow shares and sell them right away. So on an example like GameStop, where it's you know not a huge company, and they go and short it a bunch, like could they effectively lower the price by doing that? Uh, yes. Well, I mean, the market is a balance between supply and demand. And if everybody is on the selling side of things, it's going to drive price down, right? When you take a look at the GameStop itself, GameStop is something that, you know, three, four years ago was trading at $35, $40 and then broke down on a technical basis and fell all the way to $2 earlier last year. It kind of had that same thesis as Blockbuster. Video game consoles are, are no longer having physical discs. Like this is going to go the same way Blockbuster. So there is a lot of people that were interested in shorting that company because they didn't believe in its future. And what we had in this particular example was a confluence of a number of different things together that caused what we saw here over the last week. You had a lot of people that didn't believe in the business model. But then you had other individuals who saw that it was beat up too far. It had fallen too much. I mean, it was down 90 something percent from, you know, five, six years ago. They didn't think it was going to go bankrupt. There was a couple of interesting pieces of news that came out on this name. And if you guys were watching this trade last Thursday, the all time high on the stock was something around $63. And as soon as the buyers were able to drive it over $63, the stock shot up within the next minute to $74. And the reason was, is everybody that was short had their stops at that same spot. Their, I don't want to be in this anymore zone was all-time highs. If it breaks all-time highs, I guess I'm wrong. And as soon as it broke all-time highs, that short squeeze really started to take off. So going off of that with the shorting side, is there like a time limit on when you have to buy back or can you close that at any time? You can close that at any time. You're actually paying a fee to borrow, right? 
if I own stock, I don't want to give my stock to a short seller so that he can go turn around and sell it into the market and drive the price down. That would be bad for me as a buyer. So I charge, every security has a different charge essentially based on what people are willing to pay to borrow it. But it's an APR that's calculated on a day-to-day basis. So if I borrow the shares from you, I might be paying you $8 to borrow your shares a day kind of thing. Um, and that's the reason why some people lend their shares out there. They, they want to, they believe in a company for the long run. They want to own it for the long run. And they're just taking a little bit of extra essentially interest on somebody who's borrowing the stock from them. So with this whole GameStop thing, you know, it's, it's turned into this like wall street versus the, you know, everyday retail investor. Is that like, you know, you're seeing all these posts like diamond hands, like don't sell to screw over the wall street and everything. Like, are they already out at this point? Like, <laughs> it sounds like they closed their short position already, you know? Um, so here's the interesting thing. You can look at the short float for an individual security. And this is something I definitely wanted to talk about in this because it's something a lot of people don't understand. Right now, the short float on GameStop is about 120%. And if you're thinking about that from a logical perspective, how can there be 120% of the shares short? That's more than all the shares that are out there. How does that happen? Well, from what I told you in terms of the nature of how you sell something short, you borrow the shares from a buyer, right? So let's say, Mike, you own 1,000 shares. And I go ahead and I borrow those 1,000 shares to short. I sell them. Well, who buys them? DJ buys them. So now DJ has your thousand shares. And I subsequently can borrow those thousand shares again from DJ because he's lending them to me. So those shares are owed twice. That's how you get more than 100% of the float short, just in case you guys are wondering. So if you have more than 100% of the shares on, in the float short, it's going to Remember, the only way you can get out of those short positions is to buy them back. And that subsequently is a very, very high um, short percentage and can cause further squeeze. Not saying it will, saying it can't. Gotcha. So, all right. So this, I mean, this is obviously like an unprecedented like event as far as how retail investors have kind of band together to, I guess, combat Wall Street, right? And they're they're doing... They're almost essentially doing kind of what Wall Street does all the time, which is kind of control uh, the price of the stock in the way that they want to go. And it's almost like a back and forth battle right now. So I guess what are your thoughts on like, why don't, is this illegal? First of all, like the, what Wall Street bets is doing, is this like something that's, that's illegal? to do it seems like it's illegal <laughs> so i mean this is this is what's so interesting right you're not allowed to manipulate the price of stock that's that's what the rule subsequently is but if you think about our entire financial news media you can go you know jim craver's on cnbc all the time pumping up a stock saying to sell a particular stock he's giving recommendations and because he has enough followers it actually does move the price of the stock so the question becomes is that manipulation and the problem is, is the word manipulation is very hard to actually define from the SEC perspective. So what it seems like to most people is it doesn't make sense that the hedge fund guy can go on to CNBC and say this stock is bad and then it falls. And at the same point in time, if he's allowed to do that, why can't we all band together over here and say this should go up? Right. So that's the argument that's taking place 
Is it illegal? Is it not illegal? It kind of seems like stock manipulation, but so does a lot of other things that take place during the course of normal business, right? And the SEC hasn't said anything about it. So it's going to be very interesting to see what the legal ramifications are from what's going on here. So there's a few different, you know, angles, I guess, of, of people and organizations that could be held accountable legally if this is deemed illegal, right? I mean, so you have the stockbrokers, right, who are effectively limiting and controlling what can and can't be bought and the amount. Um, and it's, you know, the timing of it is uh, obviously very, um, suspect. I don't know, fishy, <laughs> suspect, you know, I guess, as to whether or not, you know, those things were done um, intentionally to help the hedge funds or whether or not they were forced to do those things or not. Um, so I guess before we talk about like the brokers and stuff, like if this is deemed to be illegal, um, like who would be held accountable from like, if there's thousands and hundreds of thousands of people doing this, I mean, who's, who do, who's, I mean, you, usually when you're instituting some sort of fraud, everybody that's involved in it is not the one that they go after. It's usually the person that starts the whole thing. Right. Hmm. You know, so like, Think about like Bernie Madoff, right? There were other people in his firm that were selling things. They were not gone after. They went after the head, right? Now, you could argue that the underlings didn't know what was really going on. I could easily argue that if you went on to Wall Street Bets and started saying some positive things about GameStop, you personally were not trying to make bazillions of dollars or manipulate mm -hmm. the market. But the person that started the entire movement probably was it all also comes down to what is somebody saying versus what are they doing if somebody is out there running the you know the the message board telling everyone to hold and at the same point in time they're selling all of their shares mm -hmm. well that becomes okay well that's very obvious that this person was just trying to create a market so that he could dump his shares that would be a big problem now if he's holding as well He's following his own advice, so is he really doing anything wrong? Again, this is all gray, what's going on here. Um, as for the brokerages themselves, you have to look at your user agreements to see whether or not what they did was wrong from a legal standpoint. From an ethical standpoint, limiting the purchase of shares is mind-boggling, and shutting off an individual security is completely inappropriate. Now, from a broker level, if they've got some sort of issue in terms of liquidity, right? If I have a cash account, I should still be able to buy whatever I want because it's my money. If I'm using margin to purchase something, a broker could restrict or raise margin requirements. That happens all the time in normal course of business. If you actually trade futures, for example, the margin requirements that the CME mandates for each futures contract changes with volatility. It's a common mm -hmm. practice. Like S&P 500 futures, you know, a year or two ago, the margin requirement was about five grand for a contract. Now it's up around 13,000, right? Those things change. So from what the brokers did, cutting a market off completely, they have other tools in their bag that would have fit inside the realm of what would be normal business. But shutting off access to an individual security seemed extremely, extremely wrong, regardless of the liquidity issues on the back end for their firm which I think a lot of them have some major issues for sure. So do you think, so do you think that there was some, and this is, I guess, speculation, but I mean, do you think that there was some kind of like tie with the like wall street slash hedge fund managers that 
like that affected the like Robin Hood, for example, shutting shutting down. I can't sit here and say there's a giant conspiracy with any. You know, I don't have any evidence of that. Um, if you look at what Robin Hood's done over the last few days, they've raised almost three billion dollars. I would think just by what they've done there, they probably had some severe liquidity issues more than anything else. But I have no idea because I don't see it and I really can't speculate as to what's going on inside an individual firm. Right. So. So. All right. Obviously, this is a kind of a double edged sword, this whole situation. There's obviously a lot of potential opportunity, um, you know, for retail investors, but it's also extraordinarily dangerous. Um, I guess from your perspective, aside from. Robin Hood and the other brokers, you know, claiming that they're protecting us from ourselves, you know, which, you know, that this is our risk to be taking whether, one way or the other, right? But from our perspective and wanting to educate people on how to protect themselves, what would you kind of, uh, what words of wisdom would you share to somebody who is, you know, considering trying to ride these waves um, and trying to participate in this movement, you know, from a risk management perspective, which I know is your number one, two and three <laughs> most important, uh, you know, aspects of trading. Um, I would say you have to go back and take a look at history. Short squeezes have happened throughout the course of history. The most recent one um, that comes to mind is what happened with Volkswagen back in 2008. All right. Volkswagen uh, was getting acquired by Porsche. It's, the news came out over the course of the weekend. Uh, the group of people that was actually short Volkswagen going into the weekend because they didn't like their business model all of a sudden panicked because now it looks like there's this buyout that's going to happen. I have to go back. I have to buy my shares. There wasn't any shares to uh, be sold to them. The stock went from 200 pounds to 1,000 pounds in a day or two. And then it fell all the way back down over the course of the next year, right? If you think about what's really going on at some point in time, those shorts are going to be able to cover their position and there won't be any buying pressure left for the stock. Let's say, you know, GameStop goes to a thousand dollars a share. Say it goes to 2000, 3000. At some point there is going to be a level where there are no more buyers, and then it is going to fall back to what its intrinsic value ultimately should be based off of fundamentals, right? At some point, every single short squeeze in history has turned around and fallen back down, right? Volkswagen was the most valuable company in the world based on market cap during that short squeeze that didn't last because there wasn't fundamentals to back it up, right? This is a game of hot potato at this point in time, and it's more akin to gambling than it is to investing. Okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, like at some point somebody's going to be the last buyer, you know, and, and that's going to be, uh, you don't want to be that person. So just be careful. Um, you know, to, to our listeners, if you know what you're doing, there may be some opportunity there. If you don't stay away, you know, learn how to do this stuff the right way. Okay. Um, cause like Mike said, it's, it's gambling at this point. All right. Um, so my next question is, with all of this craziness and all of this uh, share price going way up for GameStop, you know, and, and AMC and, and all these other tickers that Wall, Street's, um, Wall Street bets is kind of influencing, what does the company, what can the company do with that money? Yeah, I mean, like, are, are they all of a sudden going to be like a, a, a game changer now? Can they like take all these crazy funds that they've raised and, you know, 
start innovating their company? I mean, what's this look like for them fundamentally? So they haven't raised any funds at the moment. Remember, after a company IPOs, they sell their shares to the public. If the stock price goes up, it no longer benefits the company in the future, right? Because they don't have any, they're not, they're not getting the money. It's being exchanged between other people. So for somebody like GameStop to capitalize off of this, they subsequently need to sell shares. And that would be, you know, shelf offering or dilution that would happen, right? So if GameStop wants to take advantage of the $400 stock price, they have to sell shares at, you know, a certain price in order to capitalize on that itself, right? So that is how if a company wants to capitalize on a huge rise in price in their stock, they sell more stock. And you see that happen a lot with smaller companies where they will get a big push higher and then you will get dilution. It's because they are taking the advantage that the marketplace is giving them, raising capital so that they can weather the next storm. They can make new investments. They can do things like that. And those are just offerings, right? And that's yes. what you're, okay. Yep. So is that something that like you could foresee uh, some of these companies doing and taking advantage of this? Or is this like a, hey, we know that this is crazy. We're not worth anywhere near this. Like, we're just going to stay out of this. So we're if not. The, if the demand is there and they want to raise capital, that would be the move, right? It's a question of, do they want to raise the capital? Do they want to go through the dilution process? Do, do they need, like, but when things get way out of balance, you know, that as an investor, you're looking for value and something is really cheap and you're hoping that it's going up. And then when something's really, really high, you're looking to sell it, you know, and take your profit. Well, your company can look at the price of, of their, you know, their stock and go, man, I think we can, you know, raise a bunch of money here that we wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. Maybe we should look at doing that. So will they do it? Will they not? I don't know. We don't know. But if they want to take advantage of the inflated share price, that would be the move. So uh, you said earlier that the short float for GameStop right now is like 120%, right? Yep. So when people go to, you know, cover their short or is that the right term for it? Cover their short? Yes. Yeah. So when they go to cover their short, theoretically, should the price go up since they have to buy it back? Well, yeah. I mean, it's creating buying pressure, right? So yeah, I mean, when you when when you have a bunch of buying pressure against very little selling pressure, that causes price to rise. But if you look at what's happened with GameStop over the last five or six days, the short float hasn't really dropped. So even though some people are covering their shorts, it seems like new people are subsequently shorting. So the percentage isn't dropping, and that's kind of how this thing has stayed, uh, you know, uh, high for so many days. New people are willing to look at this and go, "I think it's overvalued," and jump in on the sell side. Do you think this? Uh this approach is sustainable that kind of wall street bets and like these retail investors are, are doing going kind of from one stock to the next and doing this perpetually. I mean, do you think it's sustainable or do you think there, there's going to be a way that the sec shuts this down and doesn't allow for this type of stuff? So, uh, I mean, we can go back and we can talk about pump and dumps, right? Let's, you know, take, take a minute and actually look at what goes on in the small cap markets. Pump and dumps have been an old scheme that's been run around for 100 years, you know, at this point in time. And a lot of times you'll see, for example, a, a penny stock, you may get an advertisement on Facebook to buy it. It's got the greatest, latest technology. And, you know, and you look at it and it, man, the thing's up a thousand percent already. And this thing's going to go to the moon. It's going to change the world. And you buy in and sure enough, the thing just sort of like drops to nothing. 
I was like, what happened? Well, somebody bought a bunch of shares, put together a marketing scheme, pumped the stock up, and then you saw the advertisement and you bought some. And as you're buying, I'm, I'm selling the shares that I purchased at a much lower price, right? Those are illegal. They happen, but people do get caught for doing them, right? Huge market manipulation moves are not going to subsequently be allowed, right? Because the end game for all of them is the same. The price falls back to the intrinsic value. It is just a giant pump. And then it's a game of hot potato who, who can get rid of their stuff the quickest. And don't foresee regulators allowing that type of behavior to go on. And maybe the ultimate outcome is, is not only can Wall Street bets not do it, but now we're not allowed to publish short uh, you know, articles trying to manipulate prices, hedge funds. Maybe it gets pushed across the entire sphere, which would be really cool. Hope they level the playing field. That's typically not how things have gone in the past. So again, we'll have to see. Gotcha. Well, this has been super helpful. Mike, do you have any other questions? No, I think I'm I'm good on it. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's going to be super interesting to see how this plays out um, in the the near and distant future, and what kind of ramifications it's going to have, and how it's going to kind of shape what the future of trading and investing looks like for, for retail investors. So thank you, Mike, very much as always for dropping the knowledge bombs and uh, for jumping on short notice to do a quick bonus episode. For those of you listening, uh, make sure you, you know, subscribe, download, uh, give us a five-star rating if you like it. If you don't just ignore us Um, and uh, make sure to join the stock dads uh, Facebook page, follow our Instagram and uh, maybe check out our, Discord as well. We do have a free section, so feel free to jump in and gain some value from that as well for free. And uh, yeah, I guess uh, we're going to wrap it up today. We're not going to do any dad jokes. This is a short and sweet bonus episode, but hopefully you guys enjoyed it, learned something from it, took something from it, and uh, we will catch you guys on Tuesday when we release our next episode. So thanks, Mikes. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for having me. All right, guys. We're out. Thank you for listening to Stocks and Sandals, a podcast by Stock Dads for Stock Dads. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes and join our Stock Dads community on Facebook and Instagram. But most importantly, don't touch the thermostat. This podcast is for educational purposes only, and at no point are we recommending any of the securities mentioned. This is solely being used to help educate on the historic short squeeze event from last week.